Cinema Jaws is sponsored by Overcast, an independent podcast app that embraces the open world of podcasting instead of locking it down. No exclusives, no premium content, no paywalls. Just a great podcast app for everyone. Get it for free in the App Store. And we thank them for their support. You're listening to Cinema Jaw, the greatest movies podcast ever, recorded on location from Ryan's house in Chicago. My name is Matt Kay, and with me is... Ryan the Movie Guy, and sitting alongside us, right to my left, is Phil Me and Phil. How we doing tonight, boys? This week on Cinema Jaw, Matt, we answer a very big question. Boxers or briefs? No. Why was Ghostbusters so damn popular in 1984? That, well, also a very important question. You're right. It was a a, a blockbuster that yep. has really had some legs here. In the fact, oh, yeah. we're going to be reviewing another Ghostbusters movie. The long-awaited Ghostbusters Afterlife. That's true. So we are going to hit that and a whole lot more, aren't we, Phil? Yeah, you know, we're keeping Will Smith month rolling. We got a brand new fact about a movie we've already talked about, but we're going to talk a little bit more about. And as always, we got a clip coming at you. Plus two reviews. Ryan, we mentioned the first one, Ghostbusters Afterlife. And in addition to that, House of Gucci with Lady Gaga and Adam Driver. Nice. Uh, no guests this week. Yeah. And I like to play Stump the Kabinsky without a guest. Five questions. In honor of Ghostbusters Afterlife and in honor of Paul Rudd. Ghostbusters trivia. No, in honor of Paul Rudd being named the sexiest man alive by People Magazine, we are playing Stump the Kabinsky, Paul Rudd edition. Oh, okay. I thought you were going to say sexiest man alive edition. No, that's not a bad one, though. I'm going to write that down. That's a good tidbit for a possible because i can think i could probably job. name like at least three can we throw this in the jaw box i i can name three not including paul rudd okay no paul rudd mm-hmm. three sexiest man alive phil can you write these down so we can double check it go ahead. you got it i will say um pierce brosnan um i i think you're way off with pierce but okay i'll, I'll give it to you mel gibson at one point maybe oh i can see that and um i will also say alec baldwin at one point was voted sexiest man alive. Those are my three. Wow. No Rye the movie guy? No. no. no hey, no Matt K either, so. Matt, you really dropped the ball. There's like some obvious ones that you just... Yeah. I think anyone could have done like, it. Right away. Not picked Matthew any of McConaughey. Right away you go Brad Pitt. Right off the bat. Oh, Brad, Brad Pitt, Pitt sure, Johnny sure. Depp, Idris Elba. Like, yeah. there are some yeah. iconic good-looking dudes that you hey, just... I got my horses in the race, Phil. We'll see how we did at the break. It's funny. That's good stuff. Before we get started, Matt, I wanted to tell you i was at the house of gucci screening and jeff york i know he listens to the podcast times and he's been on the show fellow critic numerous times and he does caricatures if you guys have seen our youtube channel or even on instagram we use some of these characters that he drew yeah yeah, characters of us that uh me and matt and, and matt's trying to now maybe possibly even actually animate these well i did i animated like i don't know like 10 or 12 of them right but now we're actually gonna have moving arms from what i'm told by you anyways our our limbs will be moving they might even walk so jeff went ahead and he drew us some new caricatures of me and matt and i see him at the screening well he gives us the original artwork the actual piece of paper that he drew these 
beautiful pieces of art on. And he gives them to me, and I didn't have the heart to tell him. This was almost like a, a Larry David moment for those fans of Curb Your Enthusiasm. I probably should have told Jeff right then when he's giving me these, this nice artwork that, you know, I bike to the screenings and... I have no backpack. I have no way to get this home in any way that you would want to have precious art to go four miles after a screening on a bike. But I just took it. And the whole time I'm watching the House of Gucci in the back of my head, I'm thinking, how am I going to get this stuff home without it bending or, you know, in my hand? Were you on one of those electric bikes too? And I was on one of those electric bikes. Those things take off. And if you know the city of Chicago, Windy City, you come out at about 9.30, the weather's changed, it's dropped about 15 degrees since I went into the movie theater, and it's blowing like crazy, and I'm one-handing it on those electric bike, holding Jeff's artwork so that it doesn't bend up Dude, against my chest. That's crazy. No helmet on your head. No helmet. And uh, I got home safely. Thank but God. I do want to thank Jeff. I know he listens. Thank you, Jeff, for the artwork, and you will animate these. Now I have to. I feel like, you know, after you put your body at risk, I, I must, you know. One more thing, Matt. Okay. You may have noticed there's a brand new Spider-Man trailer out. It is called Spider-Man No Way Home. Yes. Yes. I think I heard about this. So I was talking to E-Man. He was just a previous guest on, on the podcast. I saw him at uh, the Ghostbusters screening before the movie started. Right. He had said, you know, I'm really, you know, huge Marvel fan, huge comic book fan. I'm actually getting tired of the, the fact that they're keep building up the damn trailer so much. Like they're, they're making times when to watch it, you know, like it used to be the trailer would just come out and it was like kind of no announcement. Like, right. Oh, there's a trailer out. Now the trailer has become almost the movie in a sense. Like people are, are so invested in checking out the new trailer and seeing if these characters are going to be in there. Well, you know why, right? Well, on this particular one or no, just in general, in general, there's a cottage industry that's popped up around movie trailers. There's all these content creators, and trust me, it's a big industry. We're talking millions, if not billions of dollars in ad revenue and stuff. All these creators are waiting for the trailers to drop so they can glom on them and make the 15 things you missed in this trailer uh, videos and everything like that. And trust me, I watch those videos. I'm not knocking them. I think they're fun. Um, but now the studios are pressured by these content creators, the big ones, to let them know so they can plan their content. That's why. It's interesting. Yeah. Wow. So you watched the trailer. Yes. Your take, being a Spider-Man fan, being a Marvel fan, your take oh. on the latest Spider-Man trailer. I'm stoked. I don't know anybody who's been a fan of Spider-Man who wouldn't be stoked by this. You, you got the, the multiverse exploding. You got Doc Ock and the Sandman and Doctor Strange. And it just looks fantastic. I saw the Lizard Man, too. The Lizard, yeah. And the, Electro. Right? It's the whole Sinister Six, I believe. So, I, so, But we did not see any of the other Spider-Men that were teased anyways. We were going to get maybe an Andrew Garfield, a Tobey Maguire. Probably will show up in the movie to yes. some degree. Oh, yeah. But after this trailer... My takeaway on this is it's really a setup for another Sinister Six. I'm going to really try to set this thing up the right way. Or am I reading it wrong? No, I don't know. That could be. That's one interpretation. I think the object of this movie is to close the, the portal, so to speak. So Doctor Strange, you know, will, will fix everything in the end and the Sinister Six from the other dimensions will go away. But I don't know. Could be. We get another movie. So right before we hit record, we stepped into my screening room and we watched the trailers back to back, Spider-Man No Way Home and Matrix 4 Resurrection. Phil watched it, Matt watched it, and I threw a poll out onto Instagram 
asking what fans are most excited to see between those two movies. We'll start with Matt. Between those two movies, where would you put your money if you can only get one? This is going to surprise you, Ryan. I'm more excited for The Matrix. Nice. That is exciting. It's been a lot longer since we've had a Matrix film, okay? So, and and Spider-Man, I am a huge fan. I'm, I named my kid Parker for a reason. But the Matrix trailers may be a little better, of the, just speaking like of the trailers. And I am just a little bit more excited for that movie, I think. Phil? I, I'm right in line. I think Matt had the right answer here, right? I, the Matrix is a series. It has a little bit more to say than Spider-Man, you know? Spider That's debatable. I, I don't think it's debatable. I think it's I, I think debatable. it's, it's, I'm not trying to We're say Spider-Man doesn't have something to say. I'm just saying, like, the Wachowskis have, like, even in the way that they compose a shot, they're trying to say more than, you know, Spider-Man getting Doctor Strange punched out of his suit or whatever that was. Uh, I, and again, to his point, not only has it been a lot longer since we've seen a Matrix movie, right? The point of this Spider-Man movie is to celebrate every... It's like a circle jerk of Spider-Man. <laughs> Am I wrong? You're not wrong, I guess. No, it's an interesting is, way to put it, though. There's no circling or jerking in the in the Matrix trailer. Uh, so. Okay, now I disagree with you there. Because it is it is the nostalgia milk that we all covet and want to drink. So, yes, it is a circle jerk in the same way that Spider-Man is. No one's Maybe upset. Maybe more. No one's upset that Andrew Garfield wasn't a part of the circle jerk we saw. You know what I'm saying? Right. But they have made, they have uh, Trinity and Neo and is this guy Morpheus or isn't he? <laughs> so, we're getting all those same dopamine hits from the Matrix. I... I'm, I'm not saying you're fully wrong, but I'm not saying you're fully right here. Man. All right. Fair enough. What well, about you, I'm going to join both you guys and also say Matrix 4. Mainly for a lot of the same reasons. We have a lot of Spider-Man movies. I don't know what number Spider-Man movie this actually would be if we added it up now. We're at like eight in the last 12 years. It's something ridiculous. Three plus four, seven. Yeah, I think this is number eight. If yeah, did that if math you, right. If you, if you count the counting the Spider-Verse. Yeah. Spider-Verse, yeah. Right. And then so to the long await here for Matrix, I agree. I think the Wachowskis are saying a little bit more in the, the Matrix movies than your typical Spider-Man movie. And that trailer just absolutely rocks. I'm so excited for it. So my money, if I could only see one, would go to the Wachowskis and the Matrix. When I threw this poll out uh, earlier today, I just checked the results. As of now, Spider-Man is winning 61% wow. to 39%. You got to, I, 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 I believe that though. I think podcasting is like a relatively young, you know, relatively young demographic folks. I mean, of course we appeal to all ages, but... Spider-Man's more current, you know what I mean? Wait, you, when was the last Matrix movie? You would have to be at least one of our ages or older, but if we have like, I'm sure we got fans who are Gen Z. Why do they care about the Matrix? Um, I guess. I mean, yeah, I didn't think about it in those terms. You think it's a generational thing almost. Mm. Yeah. Spider-Man's okay. been around for every generation since his conception, really. The yeah. Matrix was really only big in the 90s and early 2000s. Hey, you know, Gen Xers have phones too. They can vote on Twitter, Phil. I'm not saying they don't. I'm just saying... Boy. there's they more don't. young people <laughs> yeah they uh, clearly they don't all right well we'll plug our instagram that's where i actually threw it out but we're on twitter as well instagram follow us at cinema jaw let's get this show rolling with a will smith fact yeah i teased it we're talking about pursuit of happiness again because it's a great movie and no i'm not going to let you know that it's spelled with a y because we all know that in the movie will's character likes to fidget around with a little rubik's cube uh and 
Will Smith, you know this guy. He's a great improviser. We've discussed that. The guy's top notch, top of his class. He did not want to hand double. He didn't want to have any anybody else come in and, and body double solving this Rubik's Cube. No movie magic. This man took lessons from a professional Rubik's Cube solver to solve the cube in under two minutes. And what's cool about this is two things. One, Will Smith's dedication, right? This is like what Eben was saying last week when he studied uh, uh, King, Richard, King Richard's, uh, Richard, yeah, Richard Williams. Williams' speech patterns. This man, he found, uh, I didn't even know that was a thing, like a professional Rubik's Cube solver. I mean, there's a professional everything. I agree. Yeah, Professional circle jerk instructors. There's a band called the Circle Jerks. (laughs) They're awesome. I hope they're in the Spider-Man movie. Well, okay, so it begs the question, you guys, can you solve a Rubik's Cube, Phil? No. I'm pretty good with the yo-yo, though. No, I cannot either. Parker can solve the Rubik's Cube, and it annoys the crap out of me because I can't do it. Terrible. I know. I got to learn. Good stuff. Speaking of Rubik's Cubes, Ryan, the 1980s were a great time and Ghostbusters came out in 1984. The original film holds a dear and special place in my heart. I had all the books, stickers, toys, etc. I was a Ghostbusters fanatic. More than Indiana Jones, more than even Star Wars. Ghostbusters was my jam. In 2016, far from being a hater, I was quite supportive and optimistic about the female Ghostbusters. Alas, it was a train wreck, no pun intended. So fool me once, will this latest installment, a true sequel this time, be a shame on me or shame on you for not seeing it? We dusted off our proton packs to find out. I found this in my living room. Whoa, killer replica. A replica of what? A ghost trap? There hasn't been a ghost sighting in 30 years. New York in the 80s, it's like The Walking Dead. Your dad never mentioned this to you? It's just my mom. My grandfather died. My mom says we're just here to pick through the rubble of his life. I actually got to have dinner with Dan Aykroyd once. It's a long story, and I probably told it on the job before. And I remember him talking about Ghostbusters 3. This was in 2010. And I was just sitting there agog. My mouth was literally hanging open, and, and I was just like clinging to every word he spoke. That, and it, it, This film meant so much to me to finally see, and I'm very happy that it exists. Trading in the bustling streets of New York City for the dusty mining town of Somerville, Oklahoma, Ghostbusters Afterlife picks up just shy of 40 years after the events of the first movie. The original four Ghostbusters have faded into legend as much as one can in the internet era, and we meet Callie, a struggling mom played by Carrie Coon, and her two precocious kids, Trevor and Phoebe, played by Finn Wolfhard and McKenna Grace, respectively. The trio have just inherited a spooky old house from a deceased father-slash-grandfather who's not really a part of their lives. As they assimilate to small-town life, they begin to discover that they may have a connection to the Ghostbusters, and there may be a reason their grandfather picked this location to live. Paul Rudd pops up as a seismologist who, for some reason, feels the need to disguise himself as a substitute teacher. And slowly but surely, the PKE energy of this movie ramps up to a climactic ending. 
I think it was a success. I had a ton of fun with the movie, and I think the cast was great. Even though I loved the fan service, I have to admit it was a little heavy-handed at times. Also, we, we talked about this on the way out of the movie, Ryan. There was a missing element. We do have a returning villain here, but we don't get that giant action piece that was the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man in the first movie and the Statue of Liberty in the second movie. The plot could have been slightly tighter and the pacing perhaps a little more front-loaded, but once you hear the iconic siren of Ecto-1, all of that pretty much goes out the window and I'm a kid again. Fans of Ghostbusters will be pleased by this entry. Opening the doors to a potential new series certainly has some potential. But if they make another one, they better get Rick Moranis back, or I'm not Rick going. Rick Moranis You love you some Rick Moranis. They got everybody. I, I, is that a spoiler? I don't know. Well, we'll say this. Okay. <laughs> We're just going to dance right around that. Dance right around it. Let me say this, uh, and I want to get it out of the way right at the top here. Much better. This film is much, much better than that 2016 reboot, which was just Garbage. crap, right? But I still felt overall that this new Ghostbusters was flat. I thought it took way too long for it to get going. And I'm talking 45, 50 minutes into the movie before some meaningful action takes place. Okay. Um, I think for a second reboot in five years, you know. Don't granted, call it a reboot, right? Right. Granted, this is a sequel, but in, in a sense, a reboot again of the series in, in five years. Kind of disappointed, to be honest. I wasn't, I had no problem with that because the movie is about discovery. They're, they're literally pulling the dusty old tarps off of these props that we loved as kids and getting them running again. It's about, the movie's kind of about rebuilding the Ghostbusters. And I was fine with the slow burn. It, it was funny enough and charming enough along the way to keep me entertained. So you had mentioned that it, we've already been talking about nostalgia even when it comes to the Matrix movies at, at the top. It's a huge selling point. And so I, oh, think, God, yeah. I think for Ghostbusters fans like yourself who have nostalgia for the original Ghostbusters, this is not to say that I'm not a fan of the first one. It just doesn't uh, hit those levels for me. So if I see the Ghostbuster symbol or the uh, the whatever the stupid device is called that uh, has the antenna ears when, when a ghost is near. Really? It's a PKE meter. Come on. <laughs> Come on. Funny that you would know at the PKE meter. Yeah, wait, you, you, Phil, really you know that, know right? This. No, no, oh I have God. no idea. Guys. Um, like that really registers nothing on the nostalgia meter for me. It just not that. Kind so of if movie I had me. a PKE meter that read nostalgia and I put it near you, it, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't raising. be beeping. Okay. No, right. it would not. Um, you know, I mean, some of the stuff when, when it comes to the, you know, don't cross the streams, what are those, the proton packs or, mm -hmm. okay. I, I get those, but again, doesn't really do much for me. So the movie at one point definitely wants to show us this, these mini marshmallow men. We've seen them in the commercial, and they pop up in the movie. If I'm going to ask you, a Ghostbusters fan, mm -hmm. the original one was a great idea, and it, it was born out of a very funny idea that Dan Aykroyd's character was trying to think of the most innocent <laughs> thing of all time. It's a classic movie moment that lives in the annals of, of great movie moments. Oh, yes, it does. But if I'm going to ask you, why do the mini marshmallow men even exist in this movie what would be your answer because i have none i couldn't even explain why there would be many marshmallow men in this movie of all the items on the shelf that could have been haunted and possessed and come to life marshmallows do seem the least likely but 
maybe Gozer the Gozerian remembered the form the Destroyer took back in 1984 and felt some sort of attachment to the, to the marshmallow. Because remember, the entire body was made of marshmallow. So when, when uh, I think it was the Keymaster... Yeah, when the Keymaster, Vince Clorto, was in the Walmart near the, the, you know, the marshmallows, some of that spirit leaked out to the marshmallows. So but you you're reaching for this. This is Not your really. theory. No, but that, it's that, your that, theory. That holds, that but, holds water. But, but again, when, when we're talking about the original Ghostbusters and the idea of why the, the marshmallow man appeared in the first one, it's this great moment. In this one, they're literally just playing around on the store shelves. It just didn't have that moment of like it made sense, especially to me. I was like, this is just so forced in there to get us to be... It was pretty funny. A, nostalgia, and have those like ooh and ah moments in the theater because everybody thinks they're so cute. I don't know. I I just didn't get it. To me, it was like it felt forced. I didn't like it. I'm not going to completely disagree with you. I do think seeing the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man in some form makes sense for them to have done. But like I said in my review, we're, we're missing the giant action piece. We just didn't get that in this entry. The other thing we're missing is a new ghost. I didn't like the idea. That Muncher. They, not enough. Was that good? That you, you were satisfied with that? Yeah, he was oh. cool. <laughs> he was junk. And there was, some, there was some real fan service at the end once, once all the ghosts start going ballistic. I, I pointed one out to you, in fact, uh, from, from the cartoon where, where the eyeball comes out on a string, which was a, a ghost from the cartoon. I had the toy and we get to see it in the film. I don't know if Whoop there's a name do. for this ghost. whoop de doo There's cares? some cool ghosts. The real Ghostbusters is a great show. Thank you, Phil. The cartoon. Yeah. Right. Okay. But how about a really good ghost is what I'm saying. I, I didn't think there were any that were, were nearly as memorable as The Slimer, librarian. All of them. The ones that were all in the original Ghostbusters. They needed a, not even just a set piece, new ghosts that were haunting the place. None of it worked for me in that sense. Hmm. Also, not going to completely disagree with you. But I'm not completely bashing the movie. You brought up how good the uh, kids were. Yeah, especially uh, Phoebe. Yes, uh, Phoebe McKenzie, was fantastic. Or McKenna, Fant- McKenna. Fantastic. So they sort of carried it in, in general. Um, but again, overall, sort of flat for me. Hmm. I liked it, Ryan. How about a jaw-dropping moment? So you alluded to this, and we're dancing around spoilers, but I think people know it's coming. I'm just going to say there's some fun cameos in this movie. Some interesting appearances um and some apparitions if you will right and that worked for me that was probably the funnest i had with it was seeing some of these characters on screen you i'm i'm gonna dance around this too yes a little bit more specific into which character in particular uh i think this character this character's presence is felt throughout the entire movie but then we finally get to kind of see this character at the end I think it was done well. Could have been a little shorter. Gave me goosebumps at first, but then it was on screen for too long. But mm-hmm. I, that was my jaw-dropping moment because it was like, oh, okay, they, did, they went there. Yeah, I like that moment as well. How about a movie poster quote? Ghostbusters Afterlife is a lot of fan service, but as a fan, I felt serviced. Go see it. <laughs> I went with the nostalgia streams have been crossed. That's fine. That's fine. All right. What do you what are you giving this thing? How many jaws? It's a flat two jaws, right in the middle of the road. I didn't oh, absolutely on. hate it, but it's two jaws. I'm going three. Mm. It gets that extra nostalgia jaw from me. You're a much bigger Ghostbusters fan, so it makes sense. 
Yeah, this, I mean, like, at least it was a legitimate Ghostbusters film, not like the 2016 botched movie. Right. But it, it doesn't hold a candle to the original. No. Like, it, it's not something that, like... If Neither new, did Ghostbusters 2, to be fair. I mean, if kids went to the theater and this was their first introduction to the Ghostbusters, nobody would be, like, wowed by this movie like we were back in 1984. Yeah, Parker wasn't. I would like them to get their Empire Strikes Back. They have not had that yet. So, so while we're talking about it, and I mentioned the question at the top of the show, you go back to 1984, stacked year of movies, one of the, the bigger banner years of the 80s for movies. They were coming out like crazy. Yet, a movie about Ghostbusters mm. stood the test of time and became this massive cultural hit. Why? I mean, to be fair, there were a few others from that year. Beverly Hills Cop in particular. But Ghostbusters just has a lot going on, man. So I think what, what really makes it so special and what really has made it stand the test of time is how many genres it hits because you have science fiction, you have horror, you have comedy, and you could even say action to a small degree. So it's got so many things going on. It just appealed to such a wide berth of the film-going audience. You got kids, you got men, you got women, people that are into comedy, people that are into horror. Those aren't necessarily um, audiences that usually cross over, but they do with the Ghostbusters. It was just the perfect sweet spot, man. Yeah, when I was thinking about it, I also thought about how they were able to combine the fun special effects. And you go back to the 1980s, this was still a very big deal that we were able to see this kind of stuff on the screen for the right. first time. So you had the amazing special effects for the time. Hand-drawn, frame by frame. With, get this, Matt, an original story. Can you imagine an original story these days like the it's Ghostbusters? Tough. It's tough. We, we see it less and less. All it is is nostalgia, nostalgia, remakes, something based on a comic book, something based on a book. The Ghostbusters is, is such an original idea that I think it just made our imaginations run wild. You know, it's not completely original, right? I mean, it's based on like the Abbott and Costello stuff, like the Ghost Hunters and all those like 50s and 40s movies that, that came before. Stop crushing my theory, will oh, you? Stop right. crushing it. Sorry. Uh, I was also going to say, you got to throw in a catchy song and then that's when you have your big cultural moment and become a phenomenon. When you put on a, a song, like who you going to call Ghostbusters, well, can that you, seals the deal. Can I ask a question about Afterlife while we're on that? Yeah. And maybe we'll bleep, bleep this out if this is spoilers, but do they do the cringy thing where they have like a kind of kind of crummy remix of the Ghostbusters song with like dubstep wubs and like EDM drops? No dubstep wubs, but I do believe we got a bit of a remix toward at the, uh, at the, the credit credits. sequence. Yeah. yeah, that sounds about right. But at least it didn't pop up in the movie. Even right. though there's somewhat, there is some type of reference in the, in the film uh, of, a, of a lyric used in, in the song of and course. everybody laughed and in the way they used it there that's acceptable like it was sort of creative and like a like a bad pun it, joke it almost felt natural right that was a number one hit can you guys believe that i can't a number it, one billboard hit that's my biggest grievance is that like why remix perfection that hey, song still rules right they don't remix the beatles when they use them in a we were talking about the cast earlier and the kids in particular so i have a question to you ryan it's finn wolfhard you know the kid from stranger things is in this does this guy have a career ahead of him, like a big movie career in his future? Believe it or not, Matt, I'm going to say yes. Oh, wow. I'm going to check the yes box. And here's why. Um, all right. Finn 
Wolfhard. Strange last name, but I like... That's a freaking awesome last I like, name. I was going to say, I like the name in general. He's already starred in some major projects, right? Stranger Things, humongous on Netflix. Enormous. It. It too. He's in both those movies. And now and Ghostbusters... He was good in those. Right. And now Ghostbusters Afterlife. These are some major projects that he's in. And he has a screen presence that just can't be taught necessarily. And he's not relying on good kid looks like a Macaulay Culkin in the sense where, oh, look at the cute kid. He's, he's kind of like, awkward looking. Yeah, he just has an interesting look going on. And I'm sure it's going to change as he gets older. But right now with his hair and the way he looks, it's just interesting. It's different. Kind, and of, those, kind of an Adam Driver thing going on. Right. Yeah. And those are the kids and that grow up to be sort of interesting actors. So I, I looked him up after Ghostbusters Afterlife and I saw that he's part of a band uh, really into the arts. So my answer would be yes. I think Finn Wolfhard is going to have a decent sized career here, Matt. Well, you know, I'm not usually the pessimist, but I actually ticked the no box for Finn. I don't think like Stranger Things is a big hit, but I haven't seen yet anything outside of Stranger Things. What was the other major movie he was it. in? It. Yeah, he was good in it. I liked it, but I'm again, kid charm, kid charm. What's he really got like acting chops wise? I'm not sure. I'm skeptical, Rye. Skeptical. Well, he, he's very young. Can we throw it? How old he is? Uh, throw it into the uh, fish tank. So yes, his acting chops are still going to develop, but I think he's got the interesting look to go. He's certainly got years ahead of him. So we'll find out. How about this for a question though? Right. I'm going to throw this one. This is a heavy hitter at you, Matt. Not sure if you're prepared. Ghostbusters Afterlife directed by... Jason Reitman. His father, Ivan Reitman, directed the original Ghostbusters. Interesting that it's a father-son duo when it comes to like directing movies. Yeah. A director and their child. Do you got another one sort of like the Reitmans where you got two directors in one family like that? Yeah. I mean, the, the big, big one that, that springs to mind right away for me is Carl Reiner and his son, Rob Reiner. They've both directed some pretty amazing movies rob reiner no doubt took it a lot farther as a director but they were both actor directors right um carl reiner directed the jerk and some of mel brooks's early movies and rob reiner of course gave us the princess bride and um spinal tap among many others they're both fantastic directors they are really good yeah but i got one that's even better i think tough how about this one Ladies and gentlemen, the Coppolas, Francis Ford Coppola and his daughter, Sophia Coppola, legitimately have a masterpiece under their belt, which is very impressive. I mean, Lost in Translation for Sophia Coppola, still talked about to this day, uh, being a masterpiece. And of course, Francis Ford Coppola, where do you not go wrong with a masterpiece? Did The Godfather 1, Godfather 2... Apocalypse Now, you could go on and on, The Outsiders. I mean, you could even make a case for the conversation being a masterpiece. So the Coppolas, wow, that's a lot of talent. I know those are some great movies that both of them have directed. I, you're not going to get any arguments from me. I would like to see Sophia step it up because that last one that she did with Bill Murray was a real steamer. On the rocks. Yeah, not so good. Now, we weren't high on it here on Cinema Jaw, that's for sure. But I will say Sophia Coppola's movies are still kind of like event films. Like you're interested to see what Hell she does. Yeah. Hell yeah. When Sophia Coppola has a new film out, we're, we're excited here on Cinema Jaw. So. No doubt. Good stuff. All right. So again, 
Matt K, three Jaws for Ghostbusters Afterlife. Ride the Movie Guy, only two Jaws. It will be probably the big movie this weekend and over Thanksgiving. It's a big family film. So if you get out to the theater and you see Ghostbusters, let us know what you think. Shoot us a tweet. We are at CinemaJaw. Or you can always email us, feedback at CinemaJaw.com. We are going to take a break. When we come back, we have our review of House of Gucci plus Matt Stump the Kabinsky he's playing, Paul Rudd edition. Stick with us. Another outstanding Will Smith performance that seems to get overlooked took place in the 2015 film Concussion. In this clip, Will delivers us the truth. Joe, he does autopsies. He's not in the outcome business. He has no business. You know what history does to people. Trained physicians who ignore science. Oh, wow. Sir, I am not done. History laughs. If you continue to deny my work, the world will deny my work. But men, your men, continue to die. Their families left in ruins. Truth. Tell the truth. Hey, Jawheads. We all know November in Cinema Jawland means two things Thanksgiving and Will Smith. And the best thing is, just like those greedy colonizers' cups overflow with, with native grains and culinary offerings, Will Smith has a cornucopia of movies available online. On Netflix, you can check out Ali, Seven Pounds, Collateral Beauty, and of course, Netflix's own Bright. Amazon Prime subscriptions include Life in a Year. The Aladdin remake is on Disney, obviously. And HBO Max subscribers rise up because I Am Legend, Hitch, Independence Day, Bad Boys 1 and 2, and Wild Wild West are all on there. And while you're at it, Will's got you feeling a special kind of way. And HBO Max also has you covered with a few episodes of The Fresh Prince from TV Land as well. And we are back on Cinema Jaw. Matt, before we get to our review of House of Gucci and we play a little Stump the Kabinsky, we threw, I think, only maybe one item, maybe two. Into but it was the, important. Yes, into the fish tank. So let's open up said fish tank. Wait a moment. It's fish, isn't it? DC, Who's coming with me besides Flipper? Here. That's a second message. That means Luca Brasi sleeps with the fishes. You're gonna need a bigger boat. Thank you so much. It feels good to be out this week. We have like a, a, I think maybe technically we threw two in, but one of them's really just a bonus stump, the Kabinsky. I'm gonna start with that because I think that's the content we all came here for. So Matt's three guesses. This for was, the sexiest man alive. Right. Re- refresh the jaw heads. That was early in the show. Sexiest man alive. His three guesses. In order were Pierce Brosnan, Mel Gibson, and Alec Baldwin. 1985. Mel Gibson. Check. Wow. One for one, Matt All K. right. All right. 2001. Pierce Brosnan. Check. Wow. A little late. Really, they are well past their time in 2001 to be getting Pierce Brosnan, but you're on the board still, Matt. And Alec Baldwin 
was sexiest man of the year. Never. Uh, yes. Never. He got Why robbed. Why would you say Alec Baldwin? Dude, he was a looker back he's in the day. Sexy. He's dreamy. Are no. you kidding? I mean, listen, he's 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 come a little ways. There's some there's some uh, wear on on him, and I know he's going through some stuff right now. But he was a good looking guy. Hmm. I'll, and not not to rub. I mean, no, no, I take it back. One hundred percent to rub salt in the wound. Every guess that Ryan and I had is correct. Some of them, even Brad Pitt, multiple times. Johnny Depp, multiple times winners. I don't like to go for the low-hanging fruit there, Phil. <laughs> well, you I'm know what? I'm climbing all the way to the top Ryan of the tree. and I like to look at it as the fruit that won. Well, whatever. Our apples got eaten. Yours just got moldy, and then, I, I don't know. Maybe. I, got, I got one wrong. I guessed three, you know? And I didn't guess the obvious ones. Well, you came out of the box firing that you could just name three of the yeah, size. Yeah, I mean, really you were the one that, sitting so high on your horse over the there. ego of bloom saying, I know all there is to know about sexy men. Well, I, I pay Alec attention Baldwin. to that list. Yeah. <laughs> our, our second question, uh, less competitive here, but I do want to, I'll, I'll throw a question out to the board. It was how old uh, is Finn Wolfhart? What age would you guys guess? 16. Wow. That's good. Uh, good guess, but I would probably say maybe 18. Right. The movie guys right on the money. I have no idea how he did that. It, when you look at this kid, <laughs> I, when you look at this man, you would not expect him to be able to to, to vote and buy cigarettes. But well, he to can. Be true. To be fair, Ghostbusters is the most recent thing we're seeing him in. And this movie was shot three years ago. Right. All I'm saying, he looks... I feel so much better about perpetually looking younger than I am after knowing that Finn Wolfhard is 18. Because not that I necessarily look like I can vote and buy cigarettes. You don't. But this guy really doesn't. And to be fair, when I was 18, I really, really didn't. But... I'd love to see a picture of Phil at 18. We got to make that happen, Phil. <laughs> I'll pro- I could probably find one if you really, uh, I'll, I'll have to dig down the anals myself, but okay, there they are. We'll make it happen. Was that everything in there, Phil? That's all we got, boys. All right. Jump back in that fish tank. You bet. Matt, I walked into the House of Gucci screening wearing jeans, a green fleece from The Gap, and a blue vest from Uniglo. I was clearly underdressed. With a film featuring a cast that includes Lady Gaga, Adam Driver, Jared Leto, Al Pacino, and Jeremy Irons, and with it being directed by the great Ridley Scott, there is a lot more to discuss than just fashion. I hit the runway to check it out. It was a name that sounded so sweet, so seductive. Synonymous with words, style, power. But that name was a curse too. I've been a Gucci all my life. Your name is in the history books. Paolo, you are Gucci, you need to dress the part. It's chic. I mentioned my attire when going to the screening. I am by no means a fashionista, but I have certainly heard the name Gucci. That said, I was unfamiliar with the story of Maurizio Gucci's murder. The film is based on the book House of Gucci, The Sensational Story of Murder, Madness, Glamour, and Greed. The word sensational in the title is key because that is an adjective I would use to describe the film itself. I would also use 
uneven. Take the acting performances, for instance. Lady Gaga and Adam Driver are playing it very seriously. However, Al Pacino, Mr. Overactor himself, and Jared Leto are playing it as over-the-top sensational, which in turn plays it for laughs. The story follows Gaga's Parizia as she marries into the family and soon starts to stir things up, convincing her husband, Maurizio, to take certain actions against other Gucci members. Behind the scenes, the Gucci empire starts to crumble. The movie has a runtime of over two and a half hours. Jeez. Yet the murder plot feels rushed over near the end. I have to mention two highlights here. The music, populated with 80s tunes, and the hairstyles. Gaga's look is fantastic, but I also love Adam Driver's hair and fashion in the movie. And finally, there's Jared Leto, who sports a bald head and colorful attire. The crazy hairstyles brought me back to what they did in American Hustle. A nice touch. Is this an award-worthy film? No. But I had a fun time watching the wild ride come to a conclusion. For fans of fashion and for fans of watching actors take on sensational roles, you will not be disappointed. I'm slightly recommending House of Gucci. Better fashion movie than uh, Cruella? Different. I wouldn't say better when it comes to the actual fashion because they're making uh, constant fashion shows in Cruella. They're not necessarily doing that. There's one great fashion scene where they're actually at the runway and Tom Ford, who can we throw something late into the fish tank here? I I believe Tom Ford is actually in the movie, but his characters in the movie for sure as well. Like, so I didn't understand. So Tom Ford directed two movies, a single man, which we did a review on. And he also reviewed that movie nocturnal animals, which we were very split on years ago with Jake Gyllenhaal. And he's a fashion designer But I didn't know where he fit in in the world of fashion. Then he later became a director. Well, it turns out Tom Ford uh, sort of helped rejuvenate the whole Gucci brand. When it was starting to sink and people were looking at Gucci the same way, he came in from Texas and he put on this huge show and it sort of turned the whole company back around and everybody was like, oh yeah, Gucci knows what they're doing, you know? So there is that one particular scene, but it's really about the craziness that this family for having the fortune that they piled up and the way you think of the name Gucci of rich and power, they were a bunch of goofballs. I mean, Al Pacino, his son is Jared Leto, who's cousin to Adam Driver's character in the movie. And Al Pacino's character is basically saying like, Adam Driver, you know, his nephew is going to have to take over the business because my son's an idiot. (laughs) You know, it's that kind of family. It's just like, why can't, help what I created turn this over to my son because just a, just a moron, you know? <laughs> and of course, once all these quote unquote morons get together and start running the business and then you enter somebody else into the family, like Lady Gaga's character, Parizia, next thing you know, there's murder involved, there's wackiness going on. And it's not what you would think of when you think Gucci and you're going into these expensive stores. Dude, that sounds awesome. Was there a jaw dropping moment? Oh, oh Yes. First time Jared Leto comes on. And I I don't know. It's funny. I love being in in screenings when audiences don't know exactly how to react. Because prior to that, even though Lady Gaga's accent, 
I wouldn't necessarily label as Italian. It it's some type of European accent that she's putting on. It it didn't sound very authentic when it comes to you know being from some part of Italy. I don't know. Um, but at least it was constant. And and Adam Driver, very serious actor. Then all of a sudden Jared Leto comes on. He's in this just ridiculous suit, and he's got this bald head, and he I'm putting in a, a vote now that he should voice Luigi in the new Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> Are you serious? He did it that bad? Yes. I mean, he's over the top. You remember when you'd put that Mario game on and it would come on? Yeah, it's like, it's, it's me. me, Mario. It's that kind of accent that Jared Leto has throughout the whole entire oh, no. film. That's terrible. Oh, my goodness. And so after a while, everything Jared Leto started to say, I was laughing. And... I was part of the half that was laughing the whole time. but And then you got Al Pacino like overacting, yelling at Jared Leto and him, I'm sorry, father. It's just like, oh my God, this is too good, you know? Oh, wow. I got to see this. It's a spectacle. <laughs> it is. It is a spectacle. How about a movie poster quote? I went with this one. Like their handbags, overpriced, but fun to look at. All right. How many Jaws? Two and a half Jaws for House of Gucci. It is playing in theaters, not a streamer. So check it out, Jawheads. If you see it, if you're a fan, let us know what you think. Shoot us a tweet. We are at CinemaJaw. Phil, were you able to pull up that fact? Can we get a late jaw box here? What Was Tom Ford actually in the movie? So as far as I could tell, the man, IRL, Tom Ford... He's not credited if he is. Okay. So there's not even like a cameo appearance credit. Okay. Nowhere on IMDb does it mention Tom Ford other than Reeve Carney playing Tom Ford, okay. the character, which I will say we're bringing it all full circle here as we love to do on Cinema Jaw because Reeve Carney got his uh, acting debut. He originated the role of Peter Parker on the Broadway Spider-Man show. Wow. So we have, I wonder cut. if he, we didn't see him in the trailer either, but part of me thinks maybe we should have. I think you're right. The Broadway, and we better see some Miles Morales. That's he was left out of the circle jerk. As far as we know, Phil. As far as we know. Yeah, that's he, true. He might be in there. Good stuff. Wow. All right. So Tom Ford not in it, the man himself. I love it. Good, always a good to get a, a late Jawbox answer from Phil in there. Speaking of questions, Ryan, I was thinking, can you think of another movie where a uh, crazy wealthy family uh, has things go terribly wrong? Oh, like the Gucci family. Right. Exactly. Um, off the top of my head, one that came out not too long ago, but interestingly enough, also directed by Ridley Scott, was All the Money in the World, hmm. which was about the Getty family. Well, maybe this is a new vein that he's tapped. Here. Right. Yeah. And this was, in, in this case, the grandson got kidnapped and they didn't want to pay the ransom money. That's right. That's right. With Christopher Plummer. And right. He, and he replaced, he, who did Kevin he replace? Kevin Spacey. That's right. Right after Kevin Spacey Reshot got kind of kicked all, out of Hollywood. the entire movie and ended up getting nominated for an Academy Award. So late in his career. Yeah. Mark Wahlberg's in there as well. I like that kind of story where, you know, the rich guy's just not going to, you know, be held accountable for like, oh, I'm just going to pay the ransom money right off the bat. He's going to play hardball with these guys, even though his grandson is at risk. Well, speaking of Al Pacino, my answer to this question is going to be Scarface. He's got, speaking of all the money in the world, he's got this empire, he's got the house, he's got his beautiful wife, his best friend, his sister, everything's going well for, for Tony Montana. And he just wants more, you know, he just can't help his greed and things start to fall apart. It's so spectacular when they do 
Brian De Palma is one of the best, man. It's a sure. great movie. There, there's another one, as you were just talking, that uh, I thought of. It, it was a Richard Gere movie. This was a much smaller movie. It was oh, called... Pretty Woman. No, no. <laughs> but true. He, Richard Gere always plays the rich guy, right? Yeah. And he does it again in this movie, Ar- Arbitrage, where he's the owner of a company where he's about to sell it for like $500 million, but he's been cooking the books and he's going to make the sale. And then he's involved in a car accident where somebody dies and he actually tries to cover up that someone was in his car because he's trying to get this deal done. And I remember watching this at home, missed it in the theater, but it's a pretty good thriller out there too. Richard Gere, rich guy, always works. Well, most of the time. Most of the time. So we mentioned it's directed by Ridley Scott. Mm. And we very famously had a cinema war where we said, what is the best Ridley Scott movie? And we pitted his two big ones against each other. Blade Runner against Alien. You Who had, won? You had Alien. I had Blade Runner. And it was Leo Brady, a movie guy. Who's oh, so Alien won. Notorious Ridley Scott fan, which he could go either way, but he picked Alien, I remember. So mm-hmm. you did win that one. How about this, though? Let's make it difficult. Take away Alien. Take away Blade Runner. What's Ridley Scott's third best directed film, Matt? I know you'll probably choose Black Rain, right? (laughs) We we did do a review for the Patreons there. Uh, In all seriousness, you know, Gladiator's great. That's probably where you went. But I'll say The Martian. I'm a big fan of The Martian. I think it's underrated. I have only seen The Martian once. I saw it twice. It's pretty good. Second viewing is good. So I wrote three down. Believe it or not, one was The Martian. Okay. The second one, uh, I should say the first one I wrote down, but the second one I'm going to mention here is Gladiator. Of course. Where are you going? And the, the other one written down is Black Hawk Down. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And For I sure. remember being absolutely blown away by how well he directed those action sequences with the helicopter down, the soldiers taking enemy fire from basically every direction. One of those kind of movies is very tough to direct to understand the exact danger that those soldiers are in. And it came off on screen as action packed and, you know, he's one of the greats. Very tense. So yeah, you, you can't, you can't like just put uh, Ridley Scott into a box. No, he can do anything. I agree. I mean, he did Thelma and Louise. When I looked over his filmography, I'm like, he's almost in that range of like an Ang Lee where Ang Lee can go and do almost anything he wants. You know, he could do action. He could do drama. He could do martial arts. He could do superhero movies. He's everywhere. Ridley Scott might not quite have that range, but he's... Oh, I think he's probably more. Really? But yeah. he's in there. He, he loves his sword and sandals and he loves his sci-fi. And now you're talking that he loves rich families in trouble, like uh, the two that we just mentioned. So Yeah. Uh, dude, he's been all over the place. He's been all over the place. Yeah, Ridley Spots, Scott has done so many different kinds of movies, man. It's, if you really stop and think, Thelma and Louise, I mean, come on. Yep. True. This is true. Great director. No doubt about it. No doubt. All right, Matt, that wraps up our talk on the House of Gucci. And it brings us to a very fun segment. It is called Stump the Kabinsky. Bring it. Again, the rules are simple. Five questions. We stump Matt if he only gets two or less correct. Matt wins if he gets three or more correct. All right. I'm going to win this time. I can feel it. In honor of the sexiest man alive, Paul Rudd. We are playing Paul Rudd-themed trivia questions. All right. Question one, over to Matt Kay. Matt, Paul Rudd has appeared in one movie with Leonardo DiCaprio. Name it. 
Hmm. Oh, wow. I mean, this is a tough question one, is it not, Matt? Oh, I got it. Paul Rudd and Leonardo DiCaprio appear in one movie together. All you got to do is name the movie. Hmm. That, that's, Matt's illiterate, so I don't think he'll get this one. Was that a clue? No. All right. I was hoping it was. Um, hmm. The Great Gatsby. Ooh. Phil? Romeo plus Juliet by Baz Luhrmann. Boy, very close. Very, very close. Both Baz. Yep. Matt, 0 for 1. Question 2. Dinner for Schmucks Mm -hmm. starred Paul Rudd and who? Steve Carell. All right. You're on the board. You are on the board. One question. Correct. We move on to question 3. Name the movie in which Paul Rudd befriends Jason Sudeikis as his best man. I love you, man. Oh, my goodness. Thank you, Matt. It's a good movie. Two questions. Correct. You are one away from winning Stump the Kabinsky. Question four, Matt. Slap it to base. The movie Role Models starred Paul Rudd and who? I didn't see this one. Ooh, tricky then. Role Models. Paul Rudd and who? Yeah, I think this is like a garbage movie. I think it was probably somebody like a like a David Spade or, um, but not David Spade. Paul Rudd and David Spade. Kind of. <laughs> I'm Incorrect. in that right. I'm, I'm sort of in that vein, right? We were looking for Sean William Scott Stifler. Oof, even worse than David Spade by a lot. <laughs> Sorry, Sean William Scott. (laughs) All right. Matt has two out of four correct, so it does come down to this last question. Have we stumped them, or does Matt win it? Here you are, Matt. Paul Rudd is in three movies directed by Judd Apatow. Name two of them. Directed by Judd Apatow. Name two of them. This is 40? That is one of them. Let me give you a bell. And knocked up. We did not stump the Kavinsky. You are a winner, man. And it was 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 I love you, man. Also, Judd Apatow. No, it was. Did he not. write it? No. Okay. We were looking for the forty-year-old virgin. Okay. Paul Rudd pops up in that as well, but you win three out of five. Correct. Yes. Well done, Matt. Kay. All right. I was feeling it. This was my night. Good stuff. Brings us to the end of a great jaw. Indeed, it does. Ryan. It's fun to record in person, is it not, Phil? Oh, it's wonderful. Always the best. It's much better. We're I rocking agree. some tecates. This has yeah. been a fun time. Let's crack open another one. I agree. Before we blow out of here, we got to thank first and foremost our editor, our producer, Phil. Me and Phil. Oh, I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. And while we're at it, we're thankful to all you jawheads too. It's that oh, yeah. time of year. Sure we really appreciate you guys listening. We hope you have a great time with your families, even if you're in Canada and you do Thanksgiving in October. Yeah, have another helping for Cinema Jaw. Thank you for listening to the show. And thanks to the sponsors, Ryan. Yes, we should thank Overcast. We should. And we should also thank the Chicago Podcast Co-op for getting us these great sponsors. I know, they're they're fantastic. They absolutely are. Also, our Patreons, thank you so much. It's Thanksgiving time. We thank you all the time. But special thanks to our family members, the Jawhead Patreons. Yeah, thank you guys. Yes. Until next week, I'm Ryan the Movie Guy. I'm Matt Kay. And And keep keep on on John about the movies. movies.